Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I forgot to mention this, but if you need a Bible, I believe we have free Bibles for you. We have gentlemen on the side. Uh, so if you have a Bible, or if you need a Bible, you don't have one, that one's yours to keep. So just, yeah, you can just raise your hand up if you need a Bible. But again, good morning. As I said, my name's David, and my wife and I are embedded church planters here. And so what that means is that I have different roles that I fulfill at Park Hill. I work with the youth and run our race and belonging cohort. I preach sometimes. But it means that I took the job here with the express purpose and goal of being sent out to plant another church here in San Diego. And so there's been some exciting developments in that area recently. Uh, I'm not going to announce them all right now, but stay tuned. And so it's like a teaser, you know what I mean? Uh, but stay tuned. September, we're going to kind of uh, make some announcements and talk about what's coming next. So we'd love to share with that. But just be praying for my family as we continue to, to move forward in this area in faith. My wife is... Uh, like seven months pregnant right now. And so, <laughs> you know, the baby number three, all the prayer and support and blessing are welcome. Uh, but for now, we are in a series called Shema, Hearing God's Voice. And our little tagline, if you follow us on Instagram, it talks about how God desires to actively communicate with his human family. And as his image bears, we are designed to flourish when we hear and obey God's voice. In this way, we will reflect his character into the world with our lives. So that's what we've been exploring as a family. And today I want to talk about a key piece of that puzzle, a key piece of hearing God's voice, which is the spirit-filled heart. This is a core message for me personally, uh, and so I'm hoping that the Lord moves uh, in, in your hearts and our hearts today as well. When we hear God's voice, we are often listening through our hearts. And so it's important to ask what kind of heart is most open to God? And how can I open myself fully to listen and to receive and to experience what he has to say to me? Because we can try to do all the right stuff for God and our actions are important. And we can try to think all the correct doctrines about God. And our thinking is important, that matters, but it seems that God is after something deeper. Shema is the Hebrew word for listen, which is synonymous with obeying. And now it's shorthand for the famous prayer we just read that Izzy shared with us, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. In other words, Yahweh alone is God. He is the only God. And so we owe our obedience to him because he alone is the supreme authority over reality. But more than obedience, we owe this God our love. Uh, God cares about our actions and we owe them to him, but he also wants our affections. His commandments and teaching goes beyond what we do. He says they ought to be written on our hearts. He even says that we need to love him with all of our heart. Now, the heart has a special place in the Hebrew imagination. It's not just where our emotions are, 
but it's the center of our thoughts and our will and our desires. As Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for from it flows everything that you do. It's like the command center of our entire being, our spiritual central nervous system. In hearing that, one might think that we should just follow our hearts like the culture encourages us to, right? Has anybody ever heard that message? Follow your heart, be true to yourself, live. Am I alone? No hands? We're not a hand. Oh, I got somebody. Thank you, Tanika. Okay. Yeah, that's a message that permeates the culture, right? Just trust your own heart, follow your intuition. The problem is that by default, our hearts are broken. They're our center of knowing and acting and loving, but there's something off about them. They were created as these thrones for Jesus, as the focal point for our connection with our creator. But so often when we follow our hearts, they lead us anywhere but God. Like they don't lead us closer to our creator or bring us more under the authority of Jesus or bring us into more intimacy with the Holy Spirit, but they actually tend to lead us away from God further from our identity in him. That's what happened in Genesis chapter three, like page three of the Bible, when the first humans rejected God by choosing to define what is right and good and true for themselves apart from their creator instead of trusting him. And that's been the story of what happens when we follow our hearts ever since. It can get so bad at times that the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The idea is that the heart is incurably deceitful or tricky. That word deceitful is the first word of the verse in Hebrew, and it's the same word that you would use for a really hard hiking trail to navigate, like with difficult terrain and treacherous pathways. In our teaching notes, Evan used this great analogy of our hearts being like a compass that lacks a magnetic north. The arrow just spinning around in circles and circles and circles, and if you haven't seen a compass before, <laughs> Uh, which like some of us might have, think of it like a, a GPS with a busted destination technology, right? Like the, the lines just go all over the place. You don't know where you're gonna end up if you follow it. The point isn't necessarily that everyone's rotten and evil to the core, but that no one can define ultimate good and evil by themselves. Following your heart could lead you anywhere, right? And Jeremiah's words here are proof. Now that text we just read was written during a time when God's people, the same ones who recited Shema every day for centuries, had followed their hearts so far away from God that they were sacrificing their own babies to idols and calling it good. That might feel extreme, but everything from the smallest lie to the most tragic hate crime, from simple theft to genocide, all flow from and originate in the human heart. Now, beauty begins there too, but if you hold the most magnificent work of art or the most genuine act of love up beside the most tragic human horrors, you have to ask yourself, what is wrong with us? Yet even in recognizing this incurable sickness of the human condition, Jeremiah prophesied something so hopeful, it was almost unbelievable. 
Like even in the midst of our wickedness and betrayal and brokenness and our rejection of this God who loves us, Jeremiah goes on this prophetic cascade of how God still chooses love and even yearns for his people. Let's look at these verses from Jeremiah 31. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, a love that is not limited, a love that is not bound by time, a love that is not subject to our own actions. It is an everlasting love. He says, I have drawn you towards me, is the implication, with unfailing kindness. Again, this is a people who are deep in their sin. He goes on to say, is not Ephraim, which is like saying is not Israel, God's people, is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight. Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. Did you know that the creator of the universe yearns for you? That he longs? That he desires? I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. What a statement. Even though our hearts lead us away from God and into sin, and we often experience the consequences of those sinful actions, God remains not only committed to us in some sort of contractual, covenantal, obligational sense, but his posture towards us, his fundamental heart reality towards us remains one of love and devotion. And at the end of this undeserved declaration of love, God makes the incredible promise of hope and restoration and, and something beyond restoration, something called new creation. He, he promises a new covenant, one even better than the covenant he gave Moses when he first commanded Shema. This is what Jeremiah says. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God recognizes our inability to love him rightly on our own. And so he promises that there will come a day when he fulfills the Shema. Like when he somehow figures out and, and, and fixes and teaches this thing in our heart that's broken to love him fully. When he will write his law on our hearts and make us his own. His love for his people is just that big. It's, it's tremendous. It's beyond the bounds of comprehension or our ability to perform and earn it. This is the good news of the gospel right here. The heart of our savior, redeemer, creator, friend is set on us even when our hearts are anywhere but set on him. That's really, really good news this morning. But how does he do it? Well, Ezekiel 36 says it even more plainly. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Recognizing our inability to find our way without him, God gives us a new heart. And it's not a heart of stone that is shut off to God and numb to his ways, but it's a soft, fleshy, tender heart that is 
turn towards him. It's like he performs open heart surgery on us and gives us something that we couldn't imagine, a new heart that mirrors his own heart towards us. And this heart is special because this heart will have God inside of it. This, this heart will be full of the Holy Spirit to move us towards God. This heart, the spirit inside will orient our actions and affections, all of our beings toward God. In other words, in order to win our hearts back, God gave us his own. And that's incredible news. We are not alone in our efforts to love God. He promised to heal us by giving us his very self. His love for us is so unimaginable that he will take away everything that keeps us from him, including our own hardened hearts. He won't even let us get in the way of him loving us. And as unimaginable as this may seem, we do get an image of it in the person and presence of Jesus. The exact image and representation of God and the heart of the Father on full display. Remember, the, the primary way that God speaks is through Jesus. Jesus, the God-man, modeled for us a human life that was dependent on and full of the Holy Spirit. He was so full of God's Spirit that he had a heart that was completely tender towards God and others, completely intimate with and obedient to God the Father. And the Holy Spirit that filled Jesus' heart led him straight to the cross to declare forever in blood God's unfailing love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who would ever believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Nowhere is that clearer than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through which God made a way for our sick and hardened hearts to be healed and reoriented around him as they were always meant to be. And Jesus made this new heart possible through his own sacrificial blood. He lived the life we could never live, full of the Spirit. He died the death we deserve to die, led by the Spirit, and he rose again by the power of that same Spirit to give us victory over death and access to true life now. Like, God is life. And there was a time when we were cut off from accessing and experiencing him. But thanks be to God that through Jesus, there is a way that we can encounter the fullness of the presence of God, that nothing can separate us from him again. This is our hope. And as Paul puts it, hope does not put us to shame or disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I mean, think about how insane or like, just think about this. This might not be uh, news to you if you grew up in church. This might just feel like commonplace language. But the fact that the creator of the universe, like the most brilliant constellation of stars and trillions and trillions of galaxies and the, the maker of the atom and the human heart and love and all the things that exist has decided to, to fit himself into your heart through his spirit. That he's decided to pour all of that love that he is and has into you and me. That's a miracle, that's the miracle. And Jesus, the love of God on full display, actually said it's better that he go and leave this earth and be with the Father in heaven so that the Holy Spirit can come. And this is why so that all that love of God can be poured into our hearts 
by giving us God himself, not only through the Son, but through the Spirit who dwells with us daily. Like this is what Jesus meant when he said, uh, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, like to the end of time. The one who created everything, dwelling inside our fragile, fallen frames and causing his brilliant, beautiful light to shine through our brokenness. Now, will we still make mistakes? Yes. Will we still find ourselves numb or opposed to God's spirit in our heart at times? Like, will the ears of our hearts be shut off towards God against him sometimes? Absolutely. Because we still live in a culture that's run by an enemy that wants nothing more than to distract us from the nearness and goodness and beauty of God. Remember from last week, the world, the flesh, and the devil, this unholy trinity seemingly has an entire arsenal aimed at overwhelming our hearts through pleasure and fear and doubt and noise and rage and comfort, etc. Like in the last eight years, has anybody's heart been overwhelmed with fear? In the last eight years, has anybody given into comfort instead of doing the hard thing? Uh, has anybody just felt generally overwhelmed? <laughs> Were you a Christian at that time? Yeah, yeah. okay. I'm not alone. <laughs> it's because the now and the not yet, right? Since we have yet to experience being fully united to Christ in heaven, like one day there's this theological doctrine of glorification. At the end of time, or when we go to be with Jesus, we will see him as he is, and we will be made new, made like him in glorified bodies, and all that other stuff can't touch or affect us anymore. And theologically, we've already been seated in heavenly places with him. We've been made one with Christ spiritually right now. It's unable to be broken. There's a bond between us that is the Holy Spirit that cannot break. But, but still in these earthly bodies, in the now and the not yet, in the in-between, we're, we're susceptible, aren't we? Sometimes we even desire the comfort, desire the fear, desire to just shut off and check out. It's, we've been filled with the Spirit, but it's like we're on that tricky trail that we talked about and we can finally see where we're going, which fills us with joy and peace and courage. But sometimes we still slip up along the way. And there's still mountain lions and serpents about. Yet the truth remains. The Father has sent the Son to heal our hearts. He already paid the price for our sin and poured out his spirit. The decisive battle has already been won. Amen? And so now the Spirit fills us with God's love to renew us daily into the image of Jesus, uh, to make us God's people, as Jeremiah put it. And this God won't relent until he has it all, <laughs> until he has our whole heart, our thoughts, our will, our desires, our emotions, our whole being, everything that we are is permeated by, saturated in, and radiating the love of Jesus. Like that's God's plan for your life. <laughs> right there. And he's not going to stop until that happens. And so, practically speaking, what does this spirit that dwells in our hearts actually do? Like, what does living out the spirit-written law on our hearts look like in our day-to-day -day life? And 
If our heart is how we hear, how do we open our hearts to hear him clearly or to cultivate that desire to reflect back all the love that God poured out in us? I'm going to try to answer those questions. Uh, I'm going to end by identifying three things the Spirit does and then three simple prayers that we can pray as we go into to worship. The first thing that the Spirit does to our hearts, the Spirit draws us deeper into the Trinity. The Holy Spirit draws us deeper into the Trinity. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays to the Father that we may be one with him and one another the same way that Jesus and the Father are one, perfectly united in love by the Holy Spirit. And since God's love never ends, having a heart full of God's Spirit, connected and united to the Trinity, means that there is always, always, always an invitation into deeper intimacy with God because there's always more of God to be had and experienced. Like he is infinitely good and infinitely kind and infinitely loving and infinitely merciful and infinitely gracious and he intimately and infinitely cares about every detail of your life. So all of it, all of this is working. The spirit is working to draw and invite us into a deeper revelation and understanding of that reality. One of my favorite songs, uh, it goes, whether I've been saved for 40 years or 40 days, I just want to burn for you. Teach me how to burn for you. So much of the Christian life is just remembering to yield to the Spirit. It doesn't matter if you've been a cradle Christian or you just got saved last week. There's always more of ourselves to give to him, and there's always more of him to receive in our hearts. And so the Christian life then, remembering to yield to the Spirit, looks like making room for Him. It looks like opening our hearts completely, hiding no, uh, no, no, no secret dark rooms off limit, so that the Spirit can cultivate our desire to be with Him, and we can train ourselves to become more aware of His presence. Like that invitation to intimacy looks like seeking His face which might mean offering sacrifices of praise. You know why it's called a sacrifice? Because it ain't always easy. <laughs> it's not always what you want to do in the moment, right? Sometimes praising him just to say, thank you, Jesus, or you are good, or I trust you is all we can do. It's an actual sacrifice of praise, even when we don't feel it, but we are called to stir up our longing for him to yearn for him the way that he yearns for us. That's why the last few words, some of the last few words in the Bible is when the spirit and the bride say, come, we need you more. We need you here. We need you now. Come, Lord Jesus. And so one practical thing that looks like is coming tonight to seek first Sunday when our whole church orients uh, what Evan calls, he calls us the heartbeat of who we are, right? We orient ourselves, our body around singing praises to our king. Whether or not we're tired or we don't feel like it or we're too busy or what's going on in our life, whether or not what we can get out of it, because it's not always about what we can get out of it, it's just because he is worth it. Amen? We praise him because he is worthy of our praise. And so we worship this morning. We're blessed by Angel and uh, Matthew, and we're, we're singing together this corporate expression. It's beautiful. But the other thing is that it can't just be a corporate encounter. 
If my heart is truly going to be set on the Lord, if the Spirit is filling my heart, it also has to happen when no one's looking too. Right? Some of the times that I felt most connected to God in my entire walk, I've been a Christian for like 13 years now. Well, I got saved and baptized when I was a little kid, but then I kind of did my own thing, and then I came back. So I would say like I've been really following Jesus for about 13 years, and um, some of the times I've been most connected to him were the times where I was working uh, two different jobs at two different t-shirt factories, and then I was handing out samples of Chinese food at the mall. So like, you know the guy that asked you if you want orange chicken? That was me. I was doing it. <laughs> Legendary. They gave me a box of food every day. It was great. I ate a lot of orange chicken. But um, in that season, I think I was like saving up for a wedding ring for Candace. And, um, I know, I'm such a good husband. Okay, uh, I was broke. I was a college dropout at that time. Now I'm not a college dropout. I have many degrees, but like, it's okay. Um, during that season, I'd be working 12, 13, 14 hour shifts sometimes. And, and I'd have like 30 minutes between shifts, between running from one job to the next. And I would come home and I would put my oatmeal in the microwave because I was broke, you know, I was trying to save all my money. And while my oatmeal was heating up, I would literally put on a worship song and I would just lay on the floor. And I would just tell him he is good. Or sometimes I didn't even have the words. I would just enter into his presence and say, if these are the only 15 minutes I have, they're yours. I'm never too busy, right? I'd be working third shift overnight, just pressing t-shirts, pressing t-shirts, me and Bodie. And I would go in the bathroom. I'd schedule time on my phone, 10 minutes, and just go listen to a worship song in the stall in the janky bathroom at the factory. It's me and Jesus. Because if these are the only 10 minutes I have, they're yours. You can do that too in your busyness because it doesn't matter how busy you are, he's worth it. And the thing is, we can even do this in our brokenness. Uh, our brokenness matters, so it's not that it doesn't matter how broken you feel, but we will never have another opportunity to turn first to God in whatever moment we are in. Like, how holy, how miraculous is it to be able to say in my grief and my suffering and my pain and my bitterness and my brokenness, the first thing I can say, God, I need you. God, you are good. God, you are here. God, you are with, whatever it is, whatever that thing is that you can offer, he will meet you in that space. He is worthy of our praise, no matter our circumstance, no matter our situation. And the spirit-filled heart reminds us and empowers us and moves us towards that end. But there's another part to this. Because our intimacy, whether we're experiencing the goosebumps and the tingles and all the nearness of God or, or whether it's a sacrifice of praise and we're not experiencing the physical presence in that moment, our intimacy can't just stop at longing. Our intimacy must also lead to obedience. Because to be one with him means to submit to his authority as Jesus did. And Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. We can't say we love him and we long for him and then continue to chase our old, hardened, broken hearts while ignoring the spirit inside of us. As Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's why the scripture says, uh, do not quench the spirit. The spirit living inside you can be quenched. Sometimes we have this propensity to hear the spirit and just kind of push him away and stuff him into a corner. We don't want to hear what he has to say or 
Again, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. There are things that we can do that grieve the Spirit of God. The heart of God inside of our heart can be broken by our actions sometimes. And, and he knows this and we know this. And God knows that you can be full of the Spirit and seated in heavenly places and sealed for the day of redemption and whatever other Bible verse that you want to claim and still seek lovers elsewhere that the spirit of the living God can be inside us and we can still make idols or choose to wander or disobey. I mean, to take it back to Jeremiah uh, chapter two, that the people that he was prophesying to, God's people, they had the spirit, they had the presence, the ark, they had the Lord, the living God with them. They were set apart, called by name, they were his. And yet he starts his prophecy off by saying, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns or wells, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We have the, the living spirit, the living water, the good stuff inside of us, and yet so many times we forsake it and choose muddy water or dirty water or worse, try to build something for ourselves that can't contain what we need to survive and thrive and experience the life that God has for us. And this is true of me as well. There's been times in my life where I've been about to sin and I felt the spirit burn inside my chest. Like, have you ever been in the moment where you're about to click the button or do the, say the thing or what, punch the wall and you feel the spirit burning inside you and you sinned anyways? And these are times where I even begged God beforehand, right? Like, keep me from sinning. I asked you to show up. God, I know I'm going to be tempted in this way. Please, I need your spirit to show up and just speak to me in a language I understand. Keep me from sinning. And then he answers my prayer. He shows up and he's like, David, don't do it. And I'm like, get out of here. You know what I mean? And I just do it anyways. Why? Why am I like this? Why? What was me? We're, it's you too, you know? It's not just me. But like, we all do it. We do this. And yet, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's rooted in his commitment that he will make us his people, that his posture towards us is love from the center out, from the beginning to the end, from the top to the bottom. He won't relent until he has all of us. And all I can do at times, the most that I can do is grab on to the promise that he said, I will keep you to the end. And I can just grab that and return to him time and time again through confession and repentance before God and to community and just continue to be healed as the scripture promises, continue to be healed as the scripture declares because his love is like a fire, a refining, purifying, burning fire. And the closer you get to him, not only the more will you experience the heat of his love and his presence, but the more you will be exposed. <laughs> the more your motives and your brokenness and your whatever will come up, right? Proverbs talks about the refining fire when you're refining the gold. It, it causes all that dross and that icky stuff to rise to the surface. And yet the spirit keeps inviting us and keep moving us deeper and deeper into the healing flames of his love. So our job, our response is to keep bringing our hearts back to the fire of his love as many times as it takes until he refines us such that all that remains is pure gold and all that icky stuff is washed away in his love. Amen? Amen. Number two, 
the Spirit draws us into deeper relationship with the church. A Spirit-filled heart is a heart that is oriented towards, directed at loving the church. All of reality is heading towards uh, this great and glorious day that the Bible calls the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And on that day, Christ is coming back as a bridegroom for a pure and spotless bride. And that's us, not just Park Hill, not just the Catholic Church, not just the Baptist Church, but all the believers, the billions of Christians who have ever existed. He's coming back for all of us, a bride made ready for love, for eternal love. And one thing the Holy Spirit does is he gives us eyes to see the bride the way that Christ does. The Spirit gives us eyes to see the church as beautiful and worthy of love, and then he actually empowers us to work towards that end, to work towards making that a reality, towards completing the righteous deeds of the saints. The, the Spirit actually teaches us how to love the church, which isn't how some of us feel anymore, is it? See, some of us have been super beaten down and burned out and bummed out and maybe even outright abused by churches. And I'm sorry, no church is a perfect church including Park Hill, but we also realize that some are worse than others. Some church cultures or pastors may have even operated in straight up sin towards you or your loved ones or people, groups that you care about. There's no justification and there's no excuses for that. There's this sort of beautiful and yet terrible consolation that we have in scripture that a judgment starts in the house of God and God will judge and refine his church. He won't let anything go unanswered. But until then, we have pastors on staff who would love to meet with you and listen and pray. And if that's you, if you're hurt, we hope to be a community of healing to you. One pastor says you might have been hurt by community, but the only way to get healed is by community. You can't do it apart from community. Now, you might need to leave that community, but you need to be in a community. And honestly, I'm talking about this with one of my friends. Um, most of the people I know who have gone through deconstruction phases for whatever reasons, the people who have come out on the other side of their faith, whole and renewed, are the people who returned to the body, <laughs> are the people who entrusted themselves to the bride, as opposed to the people who self-isolated and sort of excommunicated themselves from church altogether. And so it's a scary thing, it's a vulnerable thing to entrust ourselves to the bride, but the truth is Jesus' major command to the church, what it means to be Christians like fundamentally is to love one another the way that he loved us. And in order to do that, you need to be part of some one another. <laughs> We need to have open hearts towards one another. We need to have real intimacy and vulnerability and honesty with one another, which requires real forgiveness and a real willingness to repair anything that we may have broken or been responsible for. And that's not possible without the Spirit moving us towards one another, especially if we've been hurt by the church before. And I really just want to honor those people who that's your story because this can be a sensitive subject. Sometimes I feel like I, I'm at a, 
at like an advantage because um, I didn't grow up in the church, but my church experience has been anything from church hurt. Like I've been a part of Pentecostal churches, Reformed churches, Black Baptist churches, Simple House churches, whatever kind of church Park Hill is. Like I've been a part of all these different kinds of churches and I've been extremely blessed by all of them. Like I've never been a part of a church body that didn't teach me and heal me and grow me and shape me and comfort me and love me right where I was at when it would have been the easiest thing in the world to send me somewhere else. Uh, I use the image of like, you know, like a bowling ball when you're bowling with like little kids, you can put the, uh, the bumpers up. Yeah, the bumpers up in the gutter. Like I feel like I'm the bowling ball headed, like just a terrible shot, right? Headed straight for the gutter. And the church has always been those guardrails for me. Like for the last 13 years, like, I mean, the church has saved my life more ways than one, you know? And so it's been a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gift for me. Um, and, and while that hasn't been the experience of some, I fully believe that this is God's vision and that it's actually possible in and through the Spirit. I know it's possible because that's the kind of church that Jesus is coming back for. That's the kind of church that the Spirit is actively working to create right now. I could say so much more about this, but for now, I'll just, I'll leave it at this. If God won't relent until I am fully refined, like if I need to trust him and give myself over to the process of holy fire despite my own flaws, if I need to return to him and expect grace from him for my own self, why should I think that he's going to give up on you? Why should I think that you're not going to have to do that same thing also? Now, that doesn't mean that people in positions of power have the uh, authority and a free pass to abuse. We need to speak truth to power, call the church higher, let justice live, work towards it at all costs, but we need to do it from a place of deep, spirit-filled love. We love the church because Christ loves the church. And then lastly, the spirit empowers us to draw others into the Trinity and the church. So draws us deeper into the Trinity, draws us deeper into the church, and then he actually empowers us to make that a reality for other people too. Like people who don't know that there's a God who loved them and sent his son to die for them and wants to fill them with the spirit and give them a new heart. People who don't know that there is a church family just waiting to welcome them with open arms and love them through their deepest, darkest brokenness and secrets and pain and be committed to seeing them get healed and be the price that, like, Jesus get everything he paid for out of their life. There's, there's people who don't know that. There's people who are lost, and the Holy Spirit turns us towards the lost. Christ's spirit-filled heart led him on a great and costly mission to save the world for love. And as those who are made one with Christ, our spirit-filled hearts must be convinced and convicted that God loves our neighbors, no matter where or who they might be, so much that we are willing to lay our lives down to do something about it. Like from this heart of love that the Spirit wants to cultivate in us, that's where you get the miraculous power to demonstrate the kingdom through signs and healings and wonders and all that kind of stuff. It's easy to pray for people and have faith for people to encounter God when you're convinced that he loves them and has been calling them towards himself and you experience that same love too. 
because there's this sort of underlying truth that you will never have authority over what you don't love. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And that's the mission of Jesus. And he calls us to it and says, we'll do greater things than it. But the mission isn't just the actions. It's rooted in something. These are real people that Jesus wept over. These are real people that Jesus decided to bleed and die for. He felt real compassion and concern for us, like he really did care. And that's what turned into the actions. That compassion in his heart turned into life laid down to serve us. God's love is a self-giving, overflowing love. He is the one who gives it all away. Now we feel stagnant sometimes, I would submit to us this morning that if we're feeling stagnant in our faith or in our experience of the Spirit sometimes, it's not because God's, God's not near, because we did something wrong, but it, it might be because we're not serving. And we might not be serving because our hearts aren't listening to the song of love that the Spirit is attempting to sing. Like for some reason, God has chosen to work through the church to bring about his new family and his great kingdom here on earth. And that means that we, the church, we have to want what he wants. We can't settle. We can't just get comfortable. We can't just um, allow ourselves to feel anything less than what he is feeling towards those who do not know him. And the truth is, and the Bible is clear, that you will never meet a person on this earth that God does not desire that he does not love, that he did not send his son to die for, that he does not want to draw and call into a real, living, loving, life-giving relationship with himself and his church. He wants them to be a part of his bride because he wants them to be one with God. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be like the Steph Curry of evangelism, you know? Like every single person you say the name of Jesus to just falls on the floor and gets, starts speaking in tongues. You know, like maybe, I pray that that would be you. Like, I feel like, I feel like you could do it, Jim, honestly, <laughs> if anybody. But we might not be the Steph Curry of evangelism, but we still have to take the shot, right? Um, because God loves those people. And because his love has consequences. And if they don't know that love, there are real consequences to that. Uh, I'll kind of close with this story and we'll jump into the prayer, but you know, I've been, I'm very passionate about making disciples. <laughs> um, and I've been making disciples that was like really ingrained into me from early on. And I hit this roadblock early on in my faith because the first like few disciples that I made, uh, like there's three, two of them ended up in jail <laughs> and one like left the church and uh, just started kind of hooking up and doing what she wanted. And, and I just remember being so defeated because these were people that I would gave everything for. Like one of these dudes, I, I moved him out to live into our house when he got, like literally God spoke to me in a dream about this person and then told me to call him. I called this dude and uh, while I called him, he was like, bro, this is so crazy. I was literally about to try to overdose and take my life right now. So I pray a prayer for this dude. He gives his life to Jesus. We move him out. He has nothing, um, lives in the bedroom with me, recovering his rent, all this stuff. Months and months of this, he's getting formed and then he still chooses to walk away. And he still chooses to make decisions. And I'm like, God, what did I do? What did I do? To, to, what did I do wrong? You know? 
I was just so defeated and I had story after story. I was trying to be with these people that it seemed like nobody else wanted to preach the gospel to or give their life for it. And I was just like, I, I, here I am, send me. And I was going and I wasn't seeing what I thought was the fruit. And I remember confessing this to a friend and, and she sort of remarked that she was praying for me. She said, how beautiful is it that God would entrust them to you to love them right where they were at despite themselves? That really changed me, man. That really changed me because God's uh, love towards the lost can be really theoretical unless we have some skin in the game, right? It's hard to realize how uh, broken you are and how much you need God's grace and how much you need him to show up when you reject him and turn away from him and spit in his face or whatever language you want to use. And yet he still comes after you with an unfailing love to draw you to himself. And he still has a heart posture set on you that's love foundationally. It changed my life. And I realized that I was failing to see the worth of showing and sowing love because I wasn't seeing the perceived success. I thought love equals success and that's not always how it's gonna work, but love is always worth it, amen? We need to love people well because God loves people well. We need to love people to the end because God loves people to the end. And the spirit-filled heart points us away from ourselves and towards others, even at great cost, so that they too might taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. If I can have the worship team to come up here, um, we're going to pray. And I just have three simple prayers that you can ask the Lord this morning and this week and when you're in the shower and just make these the prayers of your heart. But before I do that, I just want to remind you that the baptism waters are open. If you've never said yes to baptism, now is the time. And when we enter into worship, please come up to the side and we'll get you all set up. We have clothes, towels, whatever you need. Um, but here's, here's what I want us to pray. I just want to it's kind of like two-sided because at the end of all this, a message like this, on one hand, all we can do is ask. All we can do is ask for the Spirit to show up. We, can, we just need to ask. That's all we have is asking. That asking is rooted in trusting that the Father is generous with the Holy Spirit and he gives the Spirit to all who ask, as Jesus says in Luke chapter 4. So we have to ask, but on the flip side, the, the plus side, all we need to do is ask. There's nothing we can do to earn his spirit and his love. There's nothing we can do to work it up or whatever. We just ask. And he meets us because it's his desire to meet us. He shows up because he's for us and not against us. And he actually destroys every single thing that is against us in the pursuit, the unrelenting pursuit of our hearts. And so as we enter into a time of worship, just ask the Spirit these three things. Ask the Spirit to move you to yearn for Him, to, to, to make your heart come alive again, to long for Him the way that He longs for you. All that love, just to pour it back to Him. I want you to ask the Spirit to help you forgive and love the church. That might be a really, really hard thing for us. But in this process of laying down our heart into hearts, we might realize that there's some pain that comes up 
that we haven't submitted to him and given to him. There's, there might be some secret closets in our heart that we need to open the door and let the spirit blow through like we sang earlier. And then lastly, let's ask the spirit to turn our hearts towards the lost, to be like Jesus, to not settle until the love of God is shown through our lives to every single person that God puts in it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just being with us through your son that you sent to die for us and to show us the life that we needed to live and to then send your spirit to empower us, to give us a new heart so that we might be like Jesus, that we too might love like you love and live like you live and give like you give, God, to just be one with you, that that would be our heart's desire. Teach us how to trust you again this morning. The only prayer that we can pray sometimes is, is a simple prayer, but it's a deeply biblical and faithful prayer. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise and worship.